The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Hey, good morning, ACF Church. How are you? Uh, welcome to Ego Trip. It's our first week of a five-week series that we're starting today. So excited to have this conversation with you. Um, just a couple announcements as we start off. First of all, we are kicking off our summer semester of our ACF groups today. And so you might have seen a big red table in the lobby. And what we're doing is uh, this is kind of a launch Sunday and an opportunity for you to jump in to one of our groups. And so if you don't know, Basically, we have three types of groups. We have ACF life groups, which life groups are just a group that meets at a home. And typically, they're just going to talk about what was talked about on Sunday morning, ex- expand on the sermon. And they might do a study of a, of a book or something. We've also got growth groups, which growth groups are more of like an in-depth Bible study. We've got a, a group about financial peace. And so if you want to learn about uh, about managing your finances a little bit, you can sign up for that. But that's kind of a growth group. And then we are launching a ton of social groups. And social groups are just groups that are surrounding uh, some kind of uh, some kind of activity that you guys all might enjoy. And so if you like hiking or running or four-wheeling or knitting, I don't know what you love to do, but we've got a group for almost anything. And, and it's just a way to meet people. A church can feel kind of big. There's a lot of people here, and it can feel like you don't really know anybody. And we as a church, we are a big church that has a lot of little churches. And that's kind of how we see ourselves, is these groups during the week are really going to be where you're going to get to know people in a real way, where they're going to know your needs and know who you are, and you're going to know their needs and know who they are. And so we just feel like life is better in community. And so I want to encourage you today to go out to the table and get plugged into one of those groups and uh, join that for the summer semester. And there's also a barbecue out back. I can already smell it, kind of cooking. And so I'm pretty excited about that. But uh, that's after service. So Ego Trip is the series. I hope you're buckled up here today because this is going to be kind of a hard conversation, I feel like. Anytime we talk about our egos, you can just expect it's going to feel a little like heart surgery, uh, which is painful. And so you may feel a little filleted by the end of the service here. And I'm only saying that because this has been working on me for the past couple weeks as I've been preparing for this, that uh, I have an ego problem. Hi, I'm Brian, and I have an ego problem. So there you go. Hi, Brian. Thank you. See, we've got the CR people in the house rocking it. And so anyway, this is a big topic. I feel like it, it affects us in such um, drastic ways. We don't even realize how our egos affect our lives. And we're calling it Ego Trip. Um, I don't know if you enjoy watching people trip. I kind of like watching people trip. That's a bad thing, isn't it? Probably makes me a bad pastor. I don't know. I can't help but, la- but laugh when somebody trips falling up the stairs or, you know. Um, and I used to do this, uh, like in school, you know, when you, when you trip in front of a bunch of people and then you act like you're, you're running, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm meant to do that, you know. I just, it's, 
it's funny when people trip. And one of the things people love watching is celebrities trip. There's all kinds of videos on YouTube that are just dedicated to celebrities who are tripping. And we just, we laugh and it's enjoyable. I think there's something about it. It just feels like poetic justice, you know, when they look like they're so awesome. And we're, we think, oh, they think they're so cool. And then they fall down and we're like, see, you're just like me. We all trip. We all end up doing stuff like that. And so, I don't know, we trip in a lot of different ways. And I feel like our egos trip us up in some really specific ways. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about this, how our our comfort trips us up and how our egos flare up when somebody threatens our comfort. And we're going to talk about controversy, how some of us are just addicted to controversy. And, And if there isn't a battle going on, if there's not a little bit of controversy, we get a little uncomfortable. And so then we just even start controversy for the fun of it, you know? And so then our egos trip us up in that. We're going to talk about triumph. And how we've achieved things, we've done things in our lives that are really good. And and then at some point, our egos trip us up in our triumph. And then the last thing is our past. We've all got a story. We've all got this series of events that have brought us to the to, to where we are today. And so sometimes our past trips us up. Sometimes your, your family that you came up in or some decisions that were made uh, maybe years ago are still affecting your life today. And so today specifically, we're talking about control. We're talking about control and how we are tripped up by this desire to control the world around us. And so um, it's going to get, like I said, pretty real. I think that this is a, this is a topic. You may not know that you're a control freak or that you have an ego problem, but uh, we're going to get into it. And, and if you're wondering what your ego is, your ego is just simply how you view yourself. It's what you think of when you see yourself. If I were to hold up a mirror, you would describe yourself a certain way. And other people might describe you in different ways. And so the whole goal of this series is to put down what we see when we look in the mirror and receive what Christ sees in us. We want to take God's perspective. We want to use what God says to determine how we should see ourselves. And I think through that, we're all going to be better for it, and we're all going to look a little bit more like Jesus. And so, excited about this. I hope you're with me in it. Let's pray together, and we'll start digging into the text. Jesus, thank you so much that you're here. God, I want to pray for those in this room who, um, God, who just came from a crazy weekend and uh, just barely made it into church this morning. And God, I just pray that we could be fully present in this space. I want to pray for those in the room today who aren't convinced that you're the real deal, who aren't convinced that they need you. Father, that you would just pour your love on them and they would sense you near them today. God, I pray that in these next few moments that we would take this opportunity to really look at ourselves and to be honest about who we are and to look at everything in the light of Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so you can open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16. That's where we're going to be hanging out today a little bit. The verses will also be on the screen behind me. Or you can open up the acfak.org website on your phone, on your smartphone. And there's a little header there that that says sermon notes. And you can click on that and that'll be in front of you digitally there. So Genesis chapter 16 is where we're going to be hanging out. So here's my, here's my question. What if I told you that all of your anxiety and all of your struggle and even all of your sin comes down to one thing, and that is the desire to control? 
I really think this is the case. I really think that control is the core issue of so many other problems. And it just permeates our lives, this desire to control things. And I I really haven't met anybody yet that doesn't struggle with control in one way or another. Um, And so we're going to do sort of a self-diagnostic as as I'm talking. I just want you to think, where do I control things? Where do I need to control? And, And the thing is, if I asked you, are you a controlling person? Many of you would say no, which the thing about being a controlling person, the first sign is that you don't know that you're a controlling person. That's key. Like controlling people don't know that they're controlling people. And so one of the ways to tell if you're a controlling person is in the past month, have you said that anybody in your world is a control freak? Like have you, have you picked it out in somebody else's life? And said, oh, I, I can't stand that person. They're a control freak. Or, oh, look at that person. They're controlling everything. Because the one thing control freaks hate are other control freaks. Like you put two control freaks in a room and only one's going to walk out of the room. Because control freaks just will throw down with other control freaks. Because they want to control. And so if you find yourself spotting control everywhere, then it's kind of a case of you spot it, you got it. You know, I mean, I just, man, these people are controlling and they're controlling. There's there's a good chance that you're a little controlling yourself. And I'll be honest, I am a control freak in certain areas of my life. I can see it all over my life. I'm a musician. And so I see that I'm really nitpicky with, with music. As a pastor, when I go to other churches, I find myself just picking everything apart, like making a mental list of, oh, I would have done this differently, or I would have done that differently. And maybe it's not right at all. It's just, ah, oh, you know, I like to critique things. Um, and so as a musician, I, I just, I think one of the things that we should do is, is when you become a Christian, you need a class on how to clap in church, because it's just a mess. Like when Christians clap, so here's the deal. When you clap, you clap on two and four, okay? So it's like, our God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. It's like two, three, four. And then half of you go on one and three. So it's like, our God is mighty to save. It's wrong, right? He's mighty to save. So that's, anyway, it's a big deal to me. Um, and then there's always, there's always somebody in the room that does it wrong just to be funny. Who is it? One of you guys do it, yeah. It's, yeah, it's Mason in the back. It's our worship leader. He does it. So anyway, things that drive us crazy, things that we just can't stand it when it's out of place, you know? Uh, maybe you struggle controlling people. Maybe you struggle with controlling people. If you are a control freak and you struggle controlling people, maybe what you do is you manipulate them. Maybe you, you do this thing where you reward them for doing what you want them to do, and then you withhold something from them when they don't do what you want them to to do. And so you're a control freak with people. You know, maybe you can't stand it when people think a certain way about you. And so when you're talking to them, you're always trying to reframe the conversation so that you can look good, you know, because you want to look good in front of people. Maybe you're a parent and your kids, you just can't stand it when they aren't acting right. And so you just are a very controlling parent, you know. I find myself doing this, not, not letting my kids have any freedom because I just, I like it when they look good. I like, I had this image in my head of like being a pastor and watching my little kids like walk in single file and sit down in church and just be all quiet and just listen to their parents. And it's just not, that's not life. You know, they show up to the church and they're screaming, you know, Grayson's out there crying. He trips and he falls and the girls are running over him and climbing in trees out front and, you know, not listening to their mom. That's just life. But control freaks don't like that because they're not doing what you want them to do. Do you try to control people 
in your life. Or maybe you struggle with controlling the, uh, the environment that you're in or the place that you're in. Oftentimes we struggle with controlling the place that we're in. And so you're the kind of person that when you come to church and there's stuff on the seat and it's not perfectly aligned, you almost have to like align all of the pens so that they're consistent, you know. And um, like uh, <laughs> somebody came into my house at one point and they started turning the screws on the outlet covers. Does anybody else have this sickness? Oh my gosh. So like they needed all the screws to be facing the right, the same direction because, you know, they were all over the place. So they went around with a little screwdriver and, and fixed all the screws on my outlets in my house. I just have never seen anything like that before. So maybe it's your environment. Can you, can you see where in your life you're just very controlling of your environment? Uh, maybe it's your car. And you can't stand it when the car's a little dirty. You can't stand it when there's little trash, you know, in the center console. So when your buddy jumps in and tosses his gum wrapper in there, you just start fidgeting and freaking out, you know. Or maybe it's your house. If somebody comes to your door, they knock on the door, they have to stand there for five minutes because you want to throw everything from the house into the closets and you got to throw all the dishes down into the, you know, dishwasher and just make sure everything's perfect so that when they come in, they see that your life is together because you've always got it together. And you need to make sure that you hold that up. So I don't know where it is in your life. I can see this all over my world that I like to control things. And it makes me angry when I can't control things. It frustrates me when I can't control my environment or the people around me sometimes when they don't do what I want them to do. It frustrates me. It frustrates me. Like I had somebody come up to me once and they said, Brian, I don't feel like you're a very good listener. And I was like, well, that's kind of harsh. Why? Why don't you think I'm a good listener? And he goes, well, I came to you a couple weeks ago and asked you to do something and you didn't do it. And I was like, wait a minute. Does that mean I'm not a good listener? Or does that mean I just didn't do what you wanted me to, to do? He goes, no, you're just not a good listener, you know? And so I think there's this tendency if people don't listen to you, they don't do what you want them to do. It's like, oh, you know, you, you must not have heard me. You must not have heard my point. And so I wasn't clear enough. I need to clarify what I was requesting from you. And so I see this in my life. Maybe you're already seeing where in your life you find yourself controlling things. But we can do some crazy things when we lose control. We do some crazy things when the people around us aren't acting the way that we want them to act or when our environment feels out of control. And so in Genesis chapter 16, verse 1, we've got this story of Abram and Sarai, whose names would be changed to Abraham and Sarah. And so Abraham and Sarah have been given this promise by God that they would have many children. And God says, literally, your lineage will be as many as the stars are in the sky. And so Abraham and Sarah just get ready. I'm going to give you guys kids. But the problem is these guys had struggled with infertility and struggled with having kids. And so when God said that, this was an opportunity to have faith that God was going to come through. And so Genesis 16:1. let's read this together. It says, now Sarai, Abraham's wife, or Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai's wife took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. So this is strange. A little weird. Um, can you just imagine this? So you and your wife struggling to have kids. You're sitting on the couch. You're just hanging out. She's sitting next to you and you're flipping through the channels, you know, watching TV. And 
she's thinking about it, right? She's like, it's been a while. God made this promise, promise to us. We haven't had kids yet. And so she leans over and she says, so, Abraham, yeah, honey. So I got an idea. I'm like, oh, what is that? She goes, well, we haven't been able to have kids, so I want you to sleep with my friend so we can have kids. Can you imagine? And Abraham's like, what? I mean, he's like, am I getting punked? Like, what's going on here? And she's like, no, seriously. I, you know, Hagar's pretty awesome, and uh, I think that we can have kids through Hagar. And so Abraham hears this, and he's like, yeah, sounds like a great idea. Which I guess the point of the story is, man, if your wife ever says, sleep with my friends so that we can have children, don't do it. It's never going to be good. And we're going to see this as the story goes on. It gets worse, and it gets worse. And it's a bad kind of temptation, right? Because it's something they both want. They both want kids so bad. And so they come up with this plan, or she comes up with this plan, and then Abraham just kind of passively says, okay, okay, all right. That sounds, what could go wrong? Sleeping with your best friend, that's cool. And so he goes along with it, which is just crazy. But I was thinking, one of, some of the worst temptations in life come from the people who are closest to us. I mean, this is the worst kind of temptation. It's from somebody you love who's like, yeah, I know that God said this, but I think I figured out another way. I think that I know a, a better way to get what we want. And so that we, then we see it gets, it gets worse. And uh, if you read the story, you see that after this, strangely enough, the relationship between Hagar and Sarah gets a little weird. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, this is like Game of Thrones stuff. This is weird stuff going on. This is like sleeping with each other and just bizarre. And so now Hagar is like running from her life for her life because Sarah's trying to, um, trying to kill her. And, you know, I just can imagine this tension. And Genesis 16, 11 says, And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. And you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So we've got Hagar, pregnant, scared, you know, running away. And then she has this angel that speaks to her. And she says, you're going to have this boy, and his name's going to be Ishmael, which means God hears. God heard what you wanted. He gave this boy to you. And he will be a wild donkey of a man, he said, which is a funny way of saying it. But this man is going to have his hand against everyone. He's going to be somebody who's divisive and creates a lot of problems. There's going to be a lot of violence that's going to ensue out of this man. So I was reading this week, somebody was, was, uh, was saying that the ego stands for edging God out edging God out, which I thought made a lot of sense because that's kind of what's happening here is God is, God is doing something. God has made them a promise. He's like, listen, I, I have this. I've got a plan. I'm going to give you children. And it's like God's on the seat, but you're just kind of squeezing your way over there, you know, trying to take over a little bit. And then before you know it, you're doing your own thing. And that's what's going on here is they're doing their own, their own thing. So they edge God out and it creates chaos in their lives. And it creates chaos for generations to come, if you don't know. So Ishmael, his descendants are the Palestinians. And then his, his brother Isaac, his descendants are the Jews. And so we still see this tension even existing today. And many people believe that it comes all the way back to this decision that was made to edge God out. And so 
where are you in this? Have you done a little self-diagnostic? Have you thought like, okay, Brian, where am I trying to edge God out? How am I trying to control my life? You know, maybe, maybe you want good kids, and so you don't, just, you don't give them any freedom because you just want to control them, and you feel like that's going to protect them. You know, maybe you want to find a good Christian man, or you want to find a good Christian woman, but that person goes to church, and that's good enough, you know? It's like, well, they, they, go, or they went to church that one time, and that's, that counts, right? And so you're like, okay, that's, that's fine. Or maybe you're like, like when we went to buy a house, they wanted to finance us for this house that we could have never afforded. And I was just amazed. They will let you buy a house and not be able to afford food. They will. I mean, you can get approved for a loan that you cannot afford. And so they wanted to get us into this huge house. And we were doing the math. And we're like, wait a minute. We can't buy groceries. And they're like, that's fine, you know. That's good. It's a nice house. And so we didn't do it. But many times we end up getting things that we can't afford and, and doing things that we can't afford because we want what we want. And so we don't look to see what's going to be good for our futures. We don't listen to what God is saying about our lives and just live by the budget. We do what we want to do sometimes. Maybe you want a new job and you're thinking, okay, how can I get out of here? And so you start sabotaging your current job so that you can find yourself getting another job. I don't know where it is that you find yourself controlling things, but I think there's a few questions to ask. And so I've got three questions that I think we need to ask when dealing with this tendency to control. The first one is this, is it mine? Is it mine? So the thing about Abraham and Sarah is this isn't like, you know, they were infertile and they went in for in vitro and like, I'm not talking about that at all. This is a situation of God clearly making a promise and saying, I will give you children. And them saying, I don't believe you. And in fact, your timing isn't right. And so they run off without God. And so you have to ask the question, is this something I'm supposed to worry about? Is this my problem? Because it's hard sometimes when the things around you are chaotic or the things around you aren't going the way that they should, do you find yourself weighing in? Like, do you see over in this department in your job where things aren't going quite right and maybe somebody's making you look bad and you find yourself weighing in on things that aren't your job? Or you're that parent that sees other, other people parenting and then tells them how to parent their children, you know, and gives them all kinds of advice that wasn't asked for because you're like, well, you know, if you just listen to me, uh, you'd, you'd be all right. Your kids would listen to you, you know? And, and so I don't know where it is that you find yourself weighing into things that aren't yours. But then what, what do you do when it is yours? Because clearly my children are my responsibility. I should parent them well. I should be involved with raising them. So what do we do? How do we approach those type of things? There's this passage in 1 Timothy where we've got Paul speaking to... Uh, speaking to Timothy, who's this young pastor, and he's pastoring this large church in Ephesus, and he's trying to be an encouragement to him. And they have this understanding and this mentoring relationship with each other. And so Paul is speaking into Timothy's life, and I just love how Paul comes across in this letter. He's saying, listen, I have a responsibility with Timothy. There is something that I should do here. And so he reaches in, he says in verse 20, he says, oh, Timothy, this is the end of his letter, oh, Timothy, which is, it just sounds like compassion. It sounds like there's already compassion in his heart. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. 
Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. So he gives him a warning. He says, O Timothy, my younger brother, just be careful. Be careful of trusting in your knowledge. Be careful of trusting in what you understand because some people have falsely followed that instead of following Jesus. So don't trust just in your knowledge. And then he gives him a challenge in love. He says, grace be with you. And so I just, I love the tone of this paragraph and how he's ending his letter because he's saying, listen, I love you and I do have a responsibility for you. We have this understanding, but he's able to love Timothy like a brother because that's what happens when you, when you let go of control, you're free to love people. You're free to just help them and encourage them because they don't have to do what you want them to do. It's called self-differentiation. You guys heard that term before? It's like, what the people around you do isn't you. You know that, right? Like, you may parent your children, and guess what? You're going to see my kids make mistakes. And they're going to do a lot of bad things through their lives. They're going to grow up like we all do. They're going to make bad decisions. And when they do, you know what? We're going to work through it. I'm going to love them, and I'm going to have compassion. And I hope, I hope that I can respond like Paul was with Timothy and say, listen, be careful. Be careful, but I love you in grace be with you, which I love. This isn't like an anonymous email sent from somewhere else going, hey, listen, you keep doing this and you need to do that. And then have a nice day. You know, (laughs) got to end with have a nice day. This isn't like a flippant have a nice day. This is, I pray that the grace of God would be on you. And I love that. I love the tone of this, this letter. It's like Paul is holding Timothy with really open hands. He's like, listen, Timothy, you're pastoring this large church. You're seeing people come to Jesus. There's a lot of potential for amazing things to happen, but there's also a lot of potential for problems. So just be, be careful. Be careful. See, I think there's this thin line between managing and manipulating. Because many of you have to manage. You're in jobs where you've got people you need to manage, or you're a parent, and so you need to manage your kids, you know? I mean, we're all managing things around us. If you have, you know, a house or a car, you should take care of your resources. That's good. But there's this, this transition where it turns into manipulation. And I think the determining factor is this. Management is about the people around you and the greater goal that you're a part of. Manipulation, in the end, is about you. It's about me. When I'm manipulating, it's because I need you to do what I want you to do so that I can feel better about myself, so that you can make me look good. So you see the difference? Like it's a, it's a thin line. It can almost look the same sometimes from the outside, but you know your heart and you know when you're manipulating things instead of just managing things that are yours to manage. Here's the second question. Do I have the whole story? Do I have the whole story? It's a great question to ask. When you see something that's frustrating you, something that's bothering you, you find yourself controlling things, like, do I have the whole story? Should I even be driving this thing right now? I mean, what's going on here? And so flip over to Matthew 16, 22. This is, uh, this is in the Gospels. Jesus, he's slowly revealing who he says he is. And so as you read the Gospels, what you see is slowly Jesus is more and more concrete about who he is. You know, slowly he's, he's being like kind of abstract about it earlier on in his ministry. And then later on, at this point, he's just told his disciples, listen, I'm going to die. It's coming. The day where I will be crucified is coming. And so Peter's his friend. Peter's with him. 
And he says this, it says this in, in verse 22. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So I love Peter because Peter often misses information. He just kind of flies off the handle and sees something that he doesn't like and he just responds. We, we read later that they're in the garden and Peter's with Jesus and Jesus is going to be taken. And Peter pulls out a sword and he chops off this man's ear. He's just like, no, this isn't going to happen. So in this situation, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And so if you ever get called Satan by Jesus, you know you've, you've missed something. Like, you just have to stop and go, am I missing something in this situation? Because I'm just trying to protect my friend. It seems like a noble act, right? Jesus, no, you can't die. I don't want to see this happen. He's missing something. Peter is missing that this has been the plan since before the world began. That God would send his very own son to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. See, Peter doesn't get it yet. He just sees what's in front of him. He sees that he doesn't like something and he responds. And so is that you? Is that you where you see something you don't like and you just respond? You just go, I don't like this. I'm going to freak out in this moment. I'm going to try to control it because I'm, because I'm worried about what's going to happen. And so this is Peter. Your ego will tell you you've got all the information you need. Your ego will tell you you understand completely what's going on. When somebody says you don't understand, you go, yes, I do. I know anything I need to know to make an opinion about this. And I love the Proverbs because they just get right to the heart of the matter. They say this. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Ouch, right? A fool takes no pleasure in understanding. Fools don't ask questions. They just chop people's ears off. That's what fools do. They just, they just act. And they don't like it, and so they act. And they're worried, so they control. And so the question is, have you ever seen yourself in this situation where you've been upset about something and then found out a little piece of information and then been like, been like oh, well, in that case, I'm cool with this. Have you ever found yourself there? I mean, consider that. Consider that you don't know everything that's going on. And the reality is, no matter how much you know about a situation that you're involved with, you don't know the future. You don't know what's going to happen. And many times things happen all around us that we look back on in years to come and we go, oh, it makes a lot of sense, right? Have you done that? You look back or, or you see things all kind of work out and you go, wow, I didn't have all the information, I would have opposed what God was doing in that situation. I tried to stop what God was doing in that situation. So ask yourself, do you have all the information you need to make an opinion? Ask good questions. Be a question asker. The wisest people in my life are people who come to me and they go, Brian, tell me about this. Help me understand that. And I love that because that's a conversation. That's an opportunity. And then you can, you can walk with people together. And if there's something that needs to change, you can, you can manage and you can lead and you can help instead of just manipulating the circumstances to get the outcome that you want to see. So question number three, is it really that big of a deal? Is it really that big of a deal? Ugh, how many things just consume our thoughts that just aren't that big of a deal? 
You know, what is it that throws your day off? You wake up in the morning and somebody's socks didn't make it into the hamper and you are just done for the day. Like, are you kidding me? You know, or you open the refrigerator and you grab the creamer and it's empty. And you just fly off the handle because somebody put back the empty creamer. I mean, you are done for the day. You know, I mean, did your wife leave that piece of trash in the center console of the car? Which I think is a sin, but my wife does not. <laughs> what is it? My, my roommate, so he had this bushy beard. And uh, he, every morning he'd wake up and he'd trim his beard with scissors. And he had this dark black hair and it would go all over the sink. And then he'd just leave. And I'm like, who does that? It's... It's what the water's for, dude. And so, like, I used to drive me just crazy. And I'm like, man, just, just turn the handle. It takes 10 seconds to rinse your hair down the sink. But he never did it. He never did it. And I think he was helping me with my ego. I think he was trying to help me out because I, I just, I couldn't get over it. So ask yourself, is it that big of a deal? They forgot their lunchbox and you're driving them to school. Can we figure something out? Yes. Have they done it every day this week? Yes. But it's going to be okay. Yeah, it's going to be okay. Can you have that conversation with yourself? Colossians 3, 1 says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So he's saying, listen, set your mind on things that are above. Look at the big picture of life. Do you ever stop and just look at what's happening around you and consider the kingdom of God that's being worked out in your family, that's being worked out in your workplace, that's being worked out in your school? Do you consider the bigger picture that's happening or are you so lost on the little details of the circumstances that you just can't see it? He says, consider that God is working. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Some of you guys just need to know today it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. There are things that you need to worry about. There are things that are a big deal. There are things in this world that you should be frustrated with, that should bother you like crazy. You should have a burr in your saddle for certain injustices that are happening all around us all the time. That's just a sign that you got a pulse, right? I mean, you should have some things that bother you. The question is, are they the right things? Are you being bothered by the right things? I believe that the devoted efforts of the church have never been more crucial than they are today. We have a job to do. We live in a city and a state of people that need Jesus desperately, that need hope, that are putting their hope in all kinds of things. And every week I get emails from people and talk to people who need the hope of Jesus. And so are you focused on the right things? Are you helping them find that? Focus on those right things. There is work to be done. There are things to be done. But one thing's for sure, you will never have control. You will only have the illusion of control. That's the thing about this world is you can't control it. 
You can only give yourself the illusion of control. And so we do things like that. We try to control things to give us that sensation of control. And what you're going to find is you're going to be most controlling in the areas of life that you are most passionate about. If you love your children, you know where you're going to tend to be most controlling? With your kids. If, if, you, if you love your job, you know where you're going to find yourself being controlling? At your job. You know what? If you love the church, you might find yourself being controlling at the church. I don't know where it is, but whatever you love the most is going to like multiply your tendencies and cause you to be very controlling, or at least it's going to be a temptation to try to control the circumstances to get the outcome that you're looking for. And here's the thing. Control ultimately comes from fear. It just comes from fear. It comes from this fear that, that maybe God won't come through. Maybe things won't work out. It's fear. So Amanda and I, when we were, uh, we were living in Colorado together, we, we didn't have kids yet, and we had this dog, this lab retriever dog. And so she's inside, and she's washing dishes and doing her thing there in the kitchen. And then I'm, I'm out in the garage. I had this carport next to the house because they didn't have garages, just these little lean-tos lean on the house. And so I'm out there, and I'm working under the car, and I'm grinding and making noise, and I got my headphones in and stuff. And so she's in the kitchen in this, this cup flies out of her hand and she reaches to grab it and it hits the floor and explodes and when she grabs the cup she slices her hand open and it's just a gusher you know and it's bleeding down her hand and she's like ah and and she she thinks she's good with blood but she's not good with blood at all she keeps telling me she is but she's not so she's looking at it and it's bleeding down her arm she's like oh oh what do i do do?" and so she's kind of like stressing out her heartbeat's going up and the dog comes over and the dog starts like licking the blood off the dishwasher which is just disgusting i'm sorry for that uh but so it's just it's just gross and she's she's trying to Oh, breathe. She's like, Brian. And I'm underneath, you know, making noise. I can't hear. Brian. And finally she yells, Brian, you know, and I hear this and I come running inside like, what's going on? There she is. She's like, I cut my hand and I come over and I, I, I grab her and she just collapses down me, just passes out in front of me, which I don't know if you've ever been around somebody that's passed out, but it is creepy, right? And she's kind of like shaking a little bit, and I'm I'm flipping out. I don't know what to do with her, you know, and I set her in this chair, and I'm thinking like the cartoons always get the bucket of water, you know, and you try to, so I'm like throwing water on her. I don't know what to do, and she's bleeding all over the floor, and she's got this like, you know, this head thing going on, and finally she comes back to, and I get her all patched up, and you know, cleaned up and, you know, set her down on the couch with some ice on her head and she's okay now. And I'm like, man, I thought you said you were good with blood, you know? And she's like, I thought I was. I said, what happened there? And she goes, well, I was, I was in the kitchen and the, the cup slipped and then I was standing there and it was bleeding. And, and I knew I had to like, I had to call out to you because I was bleeding pretty good. And so she just, she was like, I had to do it. I had to be strong. And so I was just standing. I was just being strong. And I was just like yelling, Brian, Brian. Until finally she said, when you came in and you grabbed me, I knew I was going to be okay. And as soon as you were there, as soon as I was safe, as soon as I knew that somebody who, who loved me was with me, I just, I just let my defenses down. And I just collapsed into your arms. And I was thinking about that for this morning. I just wonder if some of you need to experience that today. I mean, there's this moment where all the things that you're holding on to is such a weight. You've been so anxious and so worried. And what if you could just collapse into the arms of Jesus and trust him with whatever that is in your life that you have not let go of control? 
What if you could just experience that peace? Because it's stressful to be God, isn't it? I mean, it is stressful to be God. And this letting go of control, what you're doing is you're basically saying, I'm not God, and I stink at it anyway. I'm not God. I can't control it. Again, there are things to worry about. There are things to invest your life into. And there are things that you need to weigh into. But ultimately, you need to let go. And trust that God is involved in all of this. He has not left you. It comes back to fear. Can you trust Jesus that he will catch you? Can you trust that he will be with you? And here's, here's why all this matters. This isn't just a self-help sermon to help you be a better coworker, a better parent. This matters because at the core of the gospel message of Jesus is, the, is this message that you have to let go of control. You can't hold on to Jesus and hold on to your control at the same time. That's the truth. Literally, when you say, I follow Jesus, it's like you saying, I can't control it. My eternal destiny is in your hands. I cannot save myself. And if you're like, Brian, I don't know. I'm pretty sure I can control myself. I'm pretty sure I can do it. Well, I would ask you, is there any area of your life that you would change today if you could? Is there anything in your life that you, you have tried to change, you have tried to fix, that you haven't been able to change, you haven't been able to fix, that you would change in a minute if you could do it? It's just a sign that you're not in control. You can't control the things that you want to control. And so at the core of this message is the salvation message that Jesus says, I will take your sin. Just give it to me and I'll carry it. Rest in my arms and I will care for you. Galatians 2.16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, catch this, no one will be justified. Nothing you do, no matter how many times you go to church, no matter how many times you kneel down to pray, no matter how many times you take communion, it does not save you. Only by Christ will you be saved. So I want to I close out with this one thing. I feel like all of this control just comes from a misguided ego, a misunderstanding of where we fit in the universe, misunderstanding of who God is and who we are. And so you guys should have had two little pieces of paper on the seat uh, when you came in. So can you pull those out, those two little cardstock pieces of paper, and just hold those up for me real quick. Just hold them up, show them to me. If you don't want to hold them up, it's because you're a control freak. Hold them up. Show me the pieces of paper. It's good. It's all right. So just, just uh, take those pieces of paper, and I'm going to have you write down two things. So find a pen in the seat in front of you or steal one from the person next to you. So get a pen. And on the first piece of paper, I want you to write this. I am made from dust. I am made from dust. So you got it? So on the next sheet of paper, grab the other one, just as big as you can. Write these words. I am God's masterpiece. doesn't even have to be spelled right. 
So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take these pieces of paper and fold them up. And then this week, I want you to put one in each pocket. And so I feel like this is where we need to begin on this journey together. Is there's going to be a time this week where you're going to have this feeling that you need to control things, where things are just going to turn into chaos around you. Stuff's going to happen that you want to lean into and want to control. Things that aren't yours. Things that you don't need to worry about. And when that happens, I want you to pull out that one piece of paper that says, I am made from dust. Because essentially you are. That's, you're actually made from the same elements as dust. You're just dust. I mean, that you really are. We're just, we are from dust going to dust. That's really what we are. And so I feel like this statement reminds us who we are in the universe. It reminds us who God is, this great creator. And who we are is just these beings, one of millions on the earth, that it does not rest on you. And then this week, there might be a moment where you look in the mirror and you just see a mess. And you see mistakes and you see problems and you see that you feel like you're inadequate to do the things that God has placed before you. And you don't have the faith and you don't have the ability and you don't have the strength. And you need to pull out that other sheet of paper that says, I am God's masterpiece. Some of you need to hear that just as much today, that that you are God's masterpiece, that he created you in his image And that means that you are infinitely valuable and that he is using you and wants to use you to expand his kingdom in this world. You are God's masterpiece. So I feel like without both of these, we're going to end up really unbalanced. And so this week, as you experience this stuff, would you just pull out that sheet of paper just to remind yourself of the thing that you need to hear depending on the moment that you find yourself in. And, and I'm excited to be on this journey with you guys. We're going to really press into this stuff. And I believe that at its core, this idea of our ego really affects us in some, some deep, deep ways. And I want to encourage you guys to come back uh, for this whole series, just to be a part of this. And I'm, I'm just convinced God's going to change us and he's going to change our city as we trust him with our ego. Can we pr- just pray together? Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your grace. As your heads are bowed, I just want you to think, what is that thing that you're trying to control? And ask yourself, is it mine to control? Is it that big of a deal? And I want you to picture that, that thing in your hand. I want you to picture your hand wrapped around that thing so tight, like, like your fingers are turning white. You are clenching so tightly to that thing in your life. And I want you to just imagine your hand opening up and letting go of that thing. I want you to imagine that release and that, that trust and the, and the freedom and the peace that comes and, and can come through trusting that Jesus is in charge and that he will never let you go. That he loves your kids more than you do. He loves your husband more than you do. He loves you more than you'll ever know. He loves your family. And maybe for you today, that thing is just your salvation. 
this belief that you can earn this. And if that's you today, I just want you to imagine that letting go. I believe in just a moment you can, you can trust God and you can receive his grace and exchange your sin and your efforts and all that you have tried to do for the righteousness of Christ. And if that's you today, I just want you to picture the letting go of that. And God, we just come to you together as a church of people who desperately need need your grace. God, and ask that you would help us to know who we are in Christ. That we wouldn't think too highly of ourselves, Father, and we wouldn't think too lowly of ourselves, but we would have a Christ-like perspective on who we are. And God, as we worship, I pray, pray that we could worship from that spot, that we could sing to you your praises, God, because we are nothing but dust. And you are so good and so great. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you.